Welcome to The Last Word on the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Every week we take a last look at the message from the most recent Crosstalk. Enjoy this short conversation and stay tuned for the full message directly after. Hello and welcome to The Last Word. My name is Cam. I'm an intern with Crosstalk. And this morning I am joined by my co-intern, Johnny. Hello there. And I'm also joined by our Crosstalk pastor, JD. Great to be here this morning. It is great to be here. Johnny, um, I'm excited because you preached last week and you did super awesome. And it's always amazing and such a joy to hear what God has put on your heart and what God has been... uh, just putting on your heart to share. And so this morning, um, I kind of want to just start off by by asking you and talking to you, what what went into your mind as you prepared? You taught on Mark 9. Mm-hmm. And so what are some things that you feel like God like did put on your heart? And what are some ways that you feel like God specifically like got you ready for this week? This was your last time preaching with Crosstalk right. for the semester. So I'm sure that that was exciting, but also hard. And so what were just some things that went through your mind as you prepared? Yeah, that's a good question. So with this specific uh group of verses that JD gave me to preach on, mm-hmm. um, there's only a few of them. There isn't a lot of content when I first looked at it. I was mm-hmm. like, man, how am I going to get a sermon out of this? Mm-hmm. And so with spending time with it, man, God really like dug deep. And so what I did is I just kept reading it and I kept reading it over and over and thinking of, okay, what is Jesus saying here? What is so important here? Um, And obviously I looked at the context, I read all Mm -hmm. before, a little bit after, and man, God really um, dug deep. And so I think what I realized in going through these verses was that understanding what Jesus was saying at that time in history was completely life-changing for mm-hmm. them and it's completely changed how we live out today. Yeah. And so that's kind of the the take that I did on it and looking at the history and looking at what was Jesus saying that was so confusing to the disciples and let me unpack that. Yeah, for sure. And I love how you touched on that and how you really emphasize that um, in your sermon on Thursday. And I think it hit home with, with me and, and with a lot of people in the audience. And so you killed it. And then JD, as you were crying in the back, thinking about... <laughs> Johnny's last week, did you have anything that's that's you feel like God was was showing you or anything exciting going through your mind as Johnny preached last week as you just kind of got to watch? Well, I think it, it's a really uh, fun thing to watch you guys do uh, do the thing, as you could say. And what's always re- a really powerful reminder for me is that anytime somebody else preaches, there's a reminder that crosstalk is not about me. Mm-hmm. Um, to get the opportunity to sit in the back of the room and just watch God do something in mm-hmm. the hearts and the minds of of the people who are there, but also in the person who is preaching reminds me that what we do at Crosstalk is not about me as a mm-hmm. leader. And as yeah. we talk about Jesus' countercultural view of power and leadership, that becomes all the more apparent for me. And so as I was mm-hmm. sitting back there, I was like hit with the humbling reminder that as I could see the Spirit moving, like, what was happening was not about me. And it's not about me as the leader or the pastor, but it's about how we serve Mm -hmm. and allow God to do his work in this community of people. And so I think that that, like both the the reminder that God gave me, but then also the powerful message that Jesus shares in Mark chapter Mm -hmm. nine about the first becoming last and becoming a servant of all kind of coalesce into this beautiful picture where it's like, you know, it's not about me. It's Mm -hmm. about what God wants to do in this community. And so my job and my role is to be a servant of all and to just usher people into an experience of the father um, who, who 
just has this countercultural view of power and control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> man, good. that's so that's so awesome, and that's really cool. Just how God does that, like how just things align with what mm-hmm. He's teaching us and, and what He's showing us. And um, I was having a conversation recently with somebody who used to be in Crosstalk, and and she was like, "Man, I don't recognize anybody in Crosstalk." <laughs> that's so awesome, and like just the excitement on her face, and I and that's the heart posture like I aim to have too is just the excitement of like, "Wow, I don't recognize anybody." <laughs> like you know, one day when I when Crosstalk has been like something that's in my past. And like when I'm old and I'm I'm looking at maybe the Instagram pictures, whatever that looks like. <laughs> um, and so also from the passage, um, for me, something that I thought was interesting is how when the disciples are on the road and, and Jesus is with them, they're trying to talk about who's the greatest and yet they're trying to hide it from God. Like yeah. they're they're trying to hide their pride from from Jesus, who's just like right behind them. Mm-hmm. And so my question for you guys is why do you think a, the disciples tried to hide their prideful hearts. And two, why do you think we try to hide our prideful hearts from both Jesus and our community? Yeah, I think that for them, I mean, it's a natural thing to want to debate who's the greatest and want to feel prideful for things, whether it is how famous we are, whether it is how much money we have, whether it is how good we are at what we do. And we know, though, that to Jesus, you know, he's like just the most simplistic like great love of the world that Mm -hmm. saves us and that lives perfectly. And so we're like, we know that this isn't necessarily the most right thing to be talking about, but we just can't help but feel that way, whether we're in ministry and being like, oh, who's the greatest at doing, you know, different things, or whether we're in some, you know, normal job with like marketing or anything. Uh, We just want to be super good at what we do. Uh, Mm -hmm. But oftentimes we can let that consume us and how we feel like we matter in value to others in this Mm -hmm. world. So I think that they knew that they're like, oh, you know, this isn't probably the greatest, you know, thing, but they're human just like us. And we can fall into that exact same mindset and discussion with people. Um, And so it was kind of funny, like a little funny scenario that like we fall into where it's like, they know it's wrong, but they're still doing it. And it's, I don't know, it's a really cool scene that we can relate to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the saying goes that there's nothing new under the sun, right? I think mm-hmm. that the temptation that the disciples are feeling when they mm-hmm. really are dialoguing about human greatness is the nothing has changed today. And so to try and differentiate them actually is would be more difficult than anything because we, we do those same things. Everybody yeah. wants to feel valued for mm-hmm. what they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, their ability to do, create, make, perform, we all want to feel like what we do is excellent, Mm -hmm. that we bring something to the table that's unique and powerful to a group of people, and we want to to be recognized for Mm -hmm. that. And ultimately, uh, to quote my good friend Bob, our ego is not our amigo. (laughs) Our ego creates uh, a self-centered nature inside Mm -hmm. of us, and Mm -hmm. it turns us inward towards ourself where Mm -hmm. everything that we do is Mm self-serving, and then... What's so beautiful about the dichotomy in this passage is that Jesus turns, flips that upside down and says, well, if you truly want to be a leader, then you must, be, you must give up your life. Mm-hmm. And that is a profound difference between being self-centered and selfless mm-hmm. in leadership. And I think that that is the same thing that we struggle with today. Yeah, and you actually bring up something that, that I think is... I think for me, when I first started following Jesus and when I started hearing passages like this, whoever wants to be first must be very last, um, it was interesting to me. And I think I took it the wrong way, as in like, 
in order to to humble myself, in order to be very last, that means I have to like degrade myself. And that means I have to not even recognize my worth and dignity that I have as an image bearer in Jesus Christ. So can we break down just what that means for a second to be last? Because in the passage, it actually says very last. If you want to be first, you want to yeah. be very last. And so if if humbling yourself and and bowing before God doesn't mean degrading yourself, then then what does that mean to be last in our society? Right. I think it's look at where you're getting favor from God whether it is with money, whether it is with fame or fortune or just like talents or treasures or anything, it, like whenever you get more, try to see how you can serve more people with more of what you have. Mm-hmm. It's like become more of a servant. Like you have a greater opportunity to be there for others, to make this huge change in the world for the kingdom of God whenever you have more. Or whenever you're just becoming more wise, try to share that even more with people. Whenever you're becoming I don't know, just more healthy in ways, be like, okay, now I'm more capable to be there for others and go out and serve. Because mm. oftentimes, like, we're like, okay, finally we're healthy. Now let me get caught up on all this school and stuff. But now it's like, whenever you were like sick for a while, now that you're healthy, it's like, yeah, I can get caught up in school, but really be looking for opportunities that like, okay, now I can help out in ministry in other ways. Now I can be there for a friend in other ways. And so I think to be first means that you need to be looking at how can I be the most servant-hearted person I can be with all that I have. And I think that's what Jesus is displaying here and uh, what he's trying to tell the disciples that y'all are becoming great, but you need to be such a servant where it just is this upside down mindset that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I think one of the hardest things for a lot of people to do in this life is to accept a compliment because we feel (laughs) a certain (laughs) level of discomfort about somebody recognizing something in us. Mm -hmm. Now, the move that Jesus is asking us to do is to not uh, shun the the compliment, to say like, no, I'm not any good, I'm terrible, I shouldn't be recognized for any of these things. He says, in in another way, it's, no, accept that, Mm -hmm. thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank Mm -hmm. you for this gifting, thank you for this favor, thank you for this wisdom, thank you for this position. Now, what can I do to then use that to benefit others. Mm-hmm. How can I put myself last? To use the same verbiage is to move from selfishness to selflessness. And that doesn't mean we don't recognize our, our value or, or our worth. We recognize that and that's an integral part of how God created us. Mm-hmm. But we then take that and we give it away mm-hmm. freely. And it's a good kind of barometer for us when we're serving, when we're giving, when we're doing these different things to look at our intentions and say, well, is this about me as I do this? Or is this truly about others? It's a good, if we can say it is truly about those that I'm serving, I don't want recognition, I don't want uh, power, I don't want influence as a result of this, mm-hmm. but I'm doing it for the sake of others, then that is becoming the la- last mm-hmm. because we are thinking of ourselves last. It's mm-hmm. not about us. There is no ulterior motive to make mm-hmm. ourselves great. Yeah. yeah, I love that, thinking That's of yourself good. like last. And I think this can all stem from to stem from as well, remembering that like your worth and your value doesn't come from what you bring to the table in the first place. Mm-hmm. Remembering yeah. that you're loved unconditionally before you serve. You're loved unconditionally before you do anything for God. You're loved unconditionally just as you are with who you are and as he made you. Yeah. And I think from that, it stems 
a mindset of, okay, like I'm not living to prove myself or trying mm-hmm. to to prove myself to be first, but I really can think of myself as last here on earth because I'm always first on God's mind. Like he is always thinking about me and God loves me so, so much. And I don't have to prove myself to him and I don't have to prove myself to those around me. Right. And because of that, I get to put others first. And mm-hmm. the other ones right. that God also puts first in his mind because God is boundless. Yeah. You know, like God is limitless. He can have all of us first on his mind all at the same time. And so because of that, now I get to think of other people in ways that I don't have to put myself first because Mm -hmm. there's a king that loves me so much and he already Mm -hmm. does that. And then I think my last question for us this morning as we kind of wrap it up, um, something that I like had never really thought about and something I never really sat with and picked apart is Johnny on Thursday, how you talked about um, during the time of Jesus, how the role of children was completely different than the way that we view children in our society today and how they were viewed as kind of like worthless sometimes and they could be thrown out if their parents chose to do that with them. So obviously it's a little bit different now. We don't we don't throw like born children out, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, but what, what do you think that can look like in our society to embrace the last? And yeah. like, what can that practically look like as college students for us? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, this is easy to see in ministry, but wherever you're working, wherever you're, living, doing life, I want you to be thinking of the person who seems like the most outcast because I think it's so easy for us to draw near to the coolest person, the person we're most comfortable with. They're really like, I don't know, fun people. But try to like look and notice who do you think is like maybe an outcast, maybe doesn't fit in as much, maybe is hard for people to be around because they're might even be a good reason that it's hard for people to be around them. But those are the people you need to pursue and love and live life with. And you can learn a lot about yourself that way too. But that's where Jesus is calling us is whenever he came to this earth, you know, he wasn't going to the most elite, best, you know, uh, Jewish people and being like, all right, let me live with you. Let me like correct you in some ways. But no, he was with the prostitute. He was with the homeless. He was with the people who were the most outcasts that were uncomfortable, that were, you know, sometimes just crazy to people and dangerous. And so it made sense to be an outcast, but Jesus still pursued them and loved them. And so I think that looking for who is the least in your surrounding where you are living life is, those are the people you need to pursue and like love. And, you know, that's that was children at the time. And so Jesus is saying, if you receive the lowest, then you receive God. And that's what it looks like to live out the gospel, to love and receive Jesus. I think that there are a lot of times that we don't notice those people. Right. Um, they just go unnoticed in our daily life. And so one of the key things for me as a spiritual practice is, mm-hmm. is in prayer, asking God, show me those mm-hmm. that nobody else is noticing. That's good. Mm-hmm. Show me those who are lost and sick and hurting mm-hmm. because you're right, Johnny, we naturally gravitate towards those that we have a lot in common with or yeah. those who are easy for us to be around because of those things. Mm-hmm. And so therefore we need to develop a new set of eyes yeah. to see those who are unseen and to see those who might not be valued or might be passed over. And so I think that a great spiritual practice for us, if we really want to take on this servant-hearted mentality is to say, God, give me your eyes for mm-hmm. people. Give me your heart for people. Help me to notice those who uh, go unnoticed. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is one of the most valuable things that we can do. We can show God's love in a really profound way mm-hmm. when we see the unseen. And so I think that that's kind of like to make that super practical. And it's almost, 
it can be intimidating. It can be a little challenging because the reality is if we start praying that prayer, God's going to put people in our life. Mm -hmm. And he's going to then put us in positions to actually uh, serve and love these people. And so we have to be, uh, you have to come to terms with the fact that if you pray that prayer, God's going to answer that. And mm -hmm. so that's up to us to then respond in kind. But that that is such a profound prayer that affects, it's something that I pray when I'm on campus. Mm -hmm. God, instead of just reaching out or talking to the people who are really comfortable for me, for the people that I've known for a long time or the people who seem like they're like me, God, show me the people that nobody notices on the quad as they walk by me. Show me the person who is invisible. And that has profoundly changed the way in which I approach uh, conversations with people on campus. Mm -hmm. yeah, so good. That's actually, that's something that I was thinking about too, is that um, we gravitate towards people who look like us and we gravitate towards people who we think will accept like what we have to offer. And mm -hmm. we, that's the easy thing to do, like in the quad, especially um, and on campus on Thursdays. But, um, and I've talked to you guys about this before, but something that, that I've been doing at Outreach, like ever since I felt like God showed me this and since we talked about it was if I have the thought in the quad at outreach of, oh, this person probably won't want it. Or if I have, if I have the sinful thought of, oh, like they probably won't want to come to crosstalk or like they're they're different than me, then that's my sign to know, okay, I gotta go give them a card. <laughs> that's the person. <laughs> yeah, I, I was that's talking to a friend of Cyprus, uh, Yusuf, and Yusuf mm -hmm. is doing college ministry at UT mm -hmm. with the well. And we were talking about this concept, and he goes, the thing that I challenge my students with is for every one person that they invite who is like them, that they invite three people who are not like them. Mm. And I think that that is a really good way to frame kind of these sorts of conversations and the way that we view the people around us. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Absolutely. Well, Johnny, thank you for preaching last week. You killed it. You did so awesome. Thank and you. Johnny, uh, oh my gosh, your name's not Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> JD, um, do you want to take the last word for us this week? Yeah, absolutely. Over the, I guess, the last two weeks, we've been looking at these stories where Jesus claims to be the Messiah and what it looks like for Jesus to be the Messiah. And so ultimately chapters kind of like eight to 10 form this entire section in the book of Mark framed around the question, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? So we're gonna wrap up that set of three conversations this week. Cam, you're gonna be preaching on Mark chapter 10. I am. And how, <laughs> and how the first must become last. So I'm really excited to see what God has been laying on your heart. And we hope to see you guys Alkek Teaching Theater this Thursday, eight o'clock. We'll see y'all there. You know, last time, I didn't know this thing raised up, and so I was bending down like this the whole time. But I'm so happy it raises up. Tall lives matter. Okay. Okay. Hey, guys. Welcome back from spring break. Did anyone do anything really cool that they want to share that they did over spring break? Like, really cool. She met Cody Johnson. So, he got engaged. Anything else? Okay. Yeah? You went surfing? Where? Nice. The waves were huge. I, I saw in the past week. Awesome. Awesome. Well, welcome back. Um, I'm really excited for today. We're going to continue through the book of Mark. That's what we've been doing. And so if you weren't here at the start, JD let us know kind of like what is the goal of Mark. And so I like to think of Mark as a lawyer because at the very start, he's got this claim that he's like, Jesus is the son of God, right? And then he spends the whole rest of the book 
just giving us these examples and showing us what Jesus did in his life as to like why that's true. So he's like building this case. And so we're gonna be in Mark 9 today and there's 16 chapters, so we're just over halfway through. So if you wanna open up your books, we're gonna be in Mark 9, 30 to 32, should be up there too. But it says, they went on from there and they passed through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. So right here, Jesus is talking with the disciples, and he's saying, look, guys, I'm going to be delivered. People are going to take me. They're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise again in three days. And the disciples don't understand. They are confused. That's what it says here. And the thing to note is that this is the second time Jesus tells them this, exact same thing, the second time. And not only that, but he is clear as day as to what's going on. He's not saying it in a parable like he normally does. He's not like, thou tree will be chopped down and in three days later it will grow again. No, he's like, I'm going to be taken and I'm going to be killed in three days I'm going to rise again. And they're confused. But for me, I'm sitting here thinking, why are they confused? Like this is probably Friday and then on Monday, Jesus, you know, multiplied food. And then on Tuesday, he walked on water and commanded the wind to stop. Like, why are they confused or surprised by anything Jesus does at this point? And so we can sit here and look at them and think the disciples are kind of dumb for not listening. Like, how are they so confused all the time? But we literally act like this all the time with God. And I have a little story that's gonna help uh, understand. I can kind of relate to the disciples here. And it helps me um, give a little sympathy to them. But I used to go to Mexico all the time back in my freshman and sophomore year of college. And so we would go like Friday evening, we'd drive down to Del Rio, spend the night in this church that was really like old timey. You're not allowed to dance in the church. That's how old timey it was. And then the Saturday morning, we would cross the border into Acuna. I think that's how you say it. And then we'd spend the day at an orphanage and then come back to San Marcos that night. So it was like super quick and really cheap. It was like $20. So I'd go all the time and it was awesome. But I went one time with my buddy, Adam. I think he went a few times, but this one time in particular, he's like one of my best friends. But the lady running the trip and driving the van, she was very adamant that we had our passports and that they weren't expired. She kept telling us that. She's like, make sure you have your passports, make sure they're not expired. And then we were just like looking at each other like, okay, and like in one year, out the other, we didn't care. We we're like, we know we have our passports, we're good, we're chilling. And so we kept on not listening to her. And then the morning of Saturday comes and we're sitting in the van and she tells us again. And so we're like, all right, fine. We'll go look at her passports. And so we pulled him out. He's like, watch, yours is gonna be expired. And then he looks down at his and it's expired. And so he couldn't go into Acuna. And so we left him in Del Rio um, and went to uh, Acuna. And then we got him on our way back. Luckily we didn't forget him. But why do I share that is that she was clear and she was repetitive, just like Jesus is with the disciples. And I was shocked by the result and was not understanding what she was talking about and wasn't listening. And so in the same way, like I was the exact same way, but with something as simple as a passport. And so we are like this all the time with God, but what I want y'all to understand is that God made promises with you and he keeps them. God made promises with you and he keeps them. So why do I share that? Well, the thing is that God, he tells us time and time again, all these promises that like, what's gonna happen in the highs? What's gonna happen in the lows? How's he gonna help us? And this is something really cool that if this is your first time hearing, I want you to write it down, is that 
God didn't just plop you here on the earth and say, good luck. I hope you find Jesus and I'll see you in heaven. No, he is involved in our lives here. And he does that through promises. And he's clear and he's repetitive with them. And we forget them all the time when we have highs and lows. So you might be sitting here thinking, wow, that's so cool. What are these promises? I'm glad you asked. They can be found in the Bible. um, And there are, it's arguably however many there are, there's a range, but it's around 9,000 promises. There's around 9,000. And so I'm going to share five of them with y'all. And then I'm going to tell you what the promise is with that verse. And just to give y'all some examples. So first one, Joshua 1.5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. That's a clear one. The promise is that God will always be with you. The next one, 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So that's all of our sins are paid for. And so to use a promise like this, you know, you can be going through life thinking, okay, all my, you know, little sins, like stealing, lying, like those are paid for. But maybe you're struggling being like, okay, but this huge sin, I'm struggling to understand that God really did pay for all of that. And he sees me as blameless and righteous. But right here, this is instantly, use this promise to be like, No, God was clear and repetitive and he showed us in the Bible that all of your sins are paid for. So you can point to this. The next one, James 1, 2 to 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That one is trials can lead to growth. Because you'd be thinking, I'm confused as to what is the point of this trial. Because oftentimes trials can happen and we can think they're pointless. And we're like, all right, God, like I'm just going to, Sit through this, there's no point in it, but no, there's points that it can produce steadfastness. Next one, Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. God fights for you, just let him lead. And the last one that I'm gonna share with y'all is Matthew 7, 7. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open and it will be open to you. So that one is God answers every prayer. Now it might be yes, it might be no, or it might be not yet, but he is listening. This is a promise that he is listening to your prayers and he does care and he is relevant in your life. So next time you're going through a tough season, but not even just that, next time you're going through a really high achievement, this is also in the highs that something great happens and answered prayer happens. At the community group last night, we were talking about our answered prayers. There was like 10 answered prayers. It was so cool. And so we could have just like let those happen and not given any notice that like God was involved. But right here in the promise, I'm reminded that oh my gosh, like God is so relevant in my life. And he was clear and repetitive and I was able to apply, which is cool. So I want y'all to write down one promise, whether it's one of these or one that you already know in the Bible, it might be like John 3.16 is such a classic promise. And you can write it on your journal, back of your hand, friend's forehead, but just like think of it in today, this next week, this next month, however long you can, hold on to it. And so that way it might be clear and you can understand better that God is relevant. He is here in the lows and in the highs, right? And so one of our um, teaching pastors, Sean Stover, he gave a message a few weeks ago at Cyprus and he talked about that Christians, just like everyone else, goes through trials, right? We all go through trials, but there's a difference that Christians, we go through trials differently. And it's because we can hold on to this assurance and hope in the promises that God gives us. That's the difference is that we can have an understanding of the lows and of the highs. 
So, see, just like the disciples, I can be dumb and not even remember these promises that God is telling me. And so we're gonna continue on. And this is now the disciples and Jesus are traveling. And so we're gonna continue in the next two verses. So this is um, chapter nine, verses 33, 34. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? So I'll put a pause here. So Jesus and the disciples, you can think they're like walking on this dirt road. They're walking through the woods, traveling. I'm thinking like the Hobbit unexpected journey, like they're traveling. And then Jesus is like noticing in the back, he's like, oh, I notice they're arguing. They're like debating. They're, I don't know what's going on. And the thing is though, he does know. He knows exactly what they're debating and talking about. And so whenever they get to this house, Jesus asks them, he's like, what was it that you were discussing on the way? And then verse 34, but they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So what's going on here? They're debating on who's the goat. They're like, who's the greatest of all time? And the thing to remember though, is Jesus just told them he's gonna die. And the disciples are like, well, I don't, I don't understand. Anyways, Peter, who's better? You, me, I mean, John's pretty cool. I mean, you're fast, but like they instantly just go into that. This is like if Kelly was like, hey, Johnny, tomorrow all these guys are gonna come beat me up on the square. And I'm like, okay, I don't understand. And I'm like, all right, well, uh, anyways, Brooklyn, who do you think's better at disc golf, you or me? Like, it doesn't make sense. But we get this debate. We understand this discussion because we always love to talk about who's the GOAT. So I got a little game for us and we're gonna do this. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna talk about, I want y'all to point to, this is y'all's right if you think this person's the GOAT. And then y'all's left, if you think that person's the goat. And it's different things. And there should be a slide. So pull up the first one. Okay, that was easy. That was easy. Okay, next one. That's split. That one is split. Okay, okay. Next one, next one. That one's a little split, a little more that way. All right, all right, last one. Who's, all right, everyone voted on that one. <laughs> hey, where's Cam? Cam, look at everyone that's pointing that direction. You can beat them up after. <laughs> she loves Taylor Swift. Yeah, but no, we love this debate. We understand this discussion. And the thing is that we care about, you know, who is the best a lot of times because no one wants to live a boring life, right? No one wants to go to Texas State and be like, what's the most boring degree you got? I want that one. What's the most boring job I can get with this? Let me do that. I want the most boring family. No one's like that, right? We all want to be excellent. Whether you're in football, whether you're in basketball, whether you're in art, whether you're into business or marketing or anything, I'm seeing like lots of reactions from that. But no matter what you're doing, you want at some point in life for someone to raise their eyebrow at you and be like, I noticed that you're good at what you do. I noticed that you put in hard work. Like we want at least one person to be like that, right? Because we desire to matter in this world. And so for me, I, um, if y'all remember the first sermon I gave, I talked about how I almost got to stand on a podium for track and I didn't get to, it was the wrong person. Um, and so um, what's cool is I really desired to still stand on a podium one day in track. This is in high school, like 500 years ago. And so then the, one of the biggest races was district finals. And so I was 
Like, this is my last chance. I'm a senior. And I finally got it and I won and I stood on the podium. But you know what? I stood on that and I felt like I mattered that all these people saw me. But I immediately, you know, there's a race the next week and I lose and track is over. And the thing is, at that moment when I felt like I finally mattered for what I was searching for, none of those people in the crowd, none of the people that were next to me running on the track probably thought today or this week or this month, they probably didn't go like, that guy, you remember back in 2018, that one guy that ran really fast? Man, that was something. Like, no one's thinking that. It doesn't matter. And so... The thing that's important about that is that I immediately went to trying to find that I matter somewhere else. I was trying to look for significance somewhere else. So the point that I want y'all to remember is that your significance in this world is found on the cross. Your significance in this world is found on the cross. Now, don't get me wrong. It's good to have goals. It's good to want to be excellent, to reach them, to achieve them. But it gets dangerous whenever that's where you're finding your worth and value is how people are viewing if you matter or not. That's where it can be that dangerous slope. And this is why we see people like Tom Brady, who's got all these Super Bowl wins and he's got this interview where he's saying, is this all life has to offer? There has to be something else because this is just not it. I'm not satisfied. Or why Elon Musk can have $184 billion and still talk about how he's depressed. But what's cool is we read in the Bible that Jesus, who created the heavens and the earth and all of us, he knows that this is something that we struggle with and he talks about it. And so we can open this up into, I don't think it's up there, but I'll read it for y'all. It's John 4, 10 to 14. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. A lot of us know this. So Jesus is saying to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what do we get from that is this amazing answer to that problem is that it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what life you're living over here versus this person looks completely different from you. Jesus decided. He looked at you, put you right in front of him, and he looked at everything that you've done, that's been done to you, and he evaluated you. And he made a decision. And his decision was that you do matter and that you are valuable and that you matter so much that he paid the price that was missing for you to go into heaven. And it wasn't just a lot of money. It wasn't just some, I don't know, grand piece of gold or jewelry or something. It was the ultimate price of his perfect life. And so what he said there at the end though, he said, this water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the thing with this though, is that Jesus doesn't just offer this for us to one day go into heaven. Like that's great, but that's not it. He wants us to accept this today because on the cross is where he nailed all of our shame. And on the cross is where our life began. And so we don't wanna just wait until heaven, but he wants us to accept that today so that we can live out and show the world that he is this water welling up inside of us of eternal life. And that we accepted that we do matter to him and that we can show people that they matter to him. We wanna accept and live that out today. So we're gonna continue on into the next set of scripture. This is the last set. 
So Jesus and the disciples end up arriving at the house and um, Jesus confronts them about this little debate that they're having. So we're going to read what he says. This is uh, chapter 9, verses 35 to 37. And he sat down and called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, him who sent me. So they are sitting in this living room. It's probably this really old rustic house. And it probably looks like the community groups that we have. Honestly, they're probably sitting in a circle and they're listening to Jesus as he's hugging this child and saying, first means to be last. And you receive a child means you receive God. And they're probably thinking, oh, okay, Jesus. All right, this guy's gone crazy. (laughs) This guy's off the rails. They're probably thinking he's insane for saying this. And it's important to note that what he's teaching them here and what I want y'all to know from this moment is that following Jesus requires us to flip the way we see the world. Following Jesus requires us to flip the way we see the world. So the concept he's getting at here is called the upside down kingdom. And what do I mean by that? It's not the upside down from stranger things, but the upside down kingdom refers to that Jesus walked into a society 2000 years ago that looked completely opposite of what God intended. And we don't even remember that. He walked into a society where the way that people valued others and themselves was completely wrong. And Jesus steps into this and we're living in the consequence of what Jesus changed 2000 years ago. And it seems so normal to us to value people so much, but we forget that what Jesus did was completely insane at the time. Everyone agreed to this way of lifestyle. And what Jesus is saying here is completely going against it. And so his ministry was what I believe the single greatest human rights movement ever where what he said and did went completely against and opposite what the world viewed as to value women, to value children, to value what a leader looks like, and so much more. And I'm going to talk about those three in detail to help you all understand what Jesus is doing here. So starting with women. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked into this society and women were worthless in that time. And you gotta, I gotta give y'all some historical context and stuff, but these are, this is the conditions that they were dealing with that Jesus walks into. So they were viewed as no value in the sight of the law. If they had a husband, they were property of the husband. They had no rights to do anything. They couldn't vote, obviously they couldn't do anything. And the husbands and the father was the ones to make the decisions for them. And the husband couldn't cheat on the girl, but if the girl cheated on her, then we look at the ancient Judaic tradition that she was either to be shunned and exiled or killed. And that's not even fair at all. And we look at the two greatest thinkers of the time, or this is a little before that, Plato and Aristotle, where we get a lot of our views on metaphysics, where we get our views on creation, life, a lot of math stuff, science stuff, even ethics. Both of them have their separate works where they talk about that All men are these great guys that have souls and to be a woman, they don't have a soul. They're barely human. And then you look at other religions and this is even true today for some of them. And all of Rome had this total belief overall that 
to be a woman, you had to have been really bad in your past life, and it's a curse to be born as a woman. And then you think Jewish people had to have gotten it right. They had the Bible. But no, they're one of the greatest Jewish thinkers at the time talked about how men are superior in every single way than women, and that there's this quote in the Talmud that's like a, a commentary on the ancient Judaic uh, scripture and talks about that they'd rather the Torah to be burned than to be taught to a woman. And they weren't allowed to be in synagogues to learn. This is the world that Jesus steps into, that half of God's image bearers are seen with no or little value. And Jesus walks in and what does he do? Starts off the New Testament, Matthew 1.1, starts off with what? The genealogy of Jesus Christ. It is the most significant most important genealogy to ever exist in humankind. And in it, you can find four women's names. There's like, I believe uh, Tamar, I think is one of them, but they have like these terrible histories with them. They have these horrible reputations and those are the women that point to our savior, right? And then you look at the single longest dialogue and conversation Jesus has with anyone in the entire Bible ever recorded, ever, is with who? The Samaritan woman at the well. We just read about that. And then you look at the woman caught in adultery. If y'all remember, we just talked about a woman caught in adultery was either to be exiled or killed. And so they put this woman in front of Jesus and they say, what are we to do with her? This is a little test for him. And what does he do is he bends down and says, look, where are your accusers? Because he said, if you are without sin, throw the first stone. He's the only one that's allowed to throw the stone. And what he does is say, where are your accusers? And then he even makes disciples out of women. And so you look at Mary, Martha, that story that we know so well. You got Martha working so hard and she's like, Mary, what are you doing? Like Jesus is in our house. And she's like sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning and listening and he's teaching them. And who are the first two people to ever see Jesus rise from the dead? Woman. Who are the first two people that he tells to spread the good news that he raised from the dead? woman. All right, let's move on to children a lot quicker, but they were seen as the lowest value of people. They weren't even seen as fully humans. And they obviously were worthless until they worked to everyone. And there is this practice called exposure. I don't know if y'all know this, but this is an ancient practice in the Roman time called exposure. This is insane. So what it was is basically, if you had a child that had disabilities of any kind, if you had a child that was a girl and not your firstborn, or if you just couldn't afford another mouth to feed, then you can get your kid or baby, tie them up and throw them in the woods or put them on the road and leave them to die. It was so common back then. And then we just read that Jesus hugs this child, looks his disciples in the eyes, and they know full well of this exposure thing. And he says, if you receive a child, then you receive God. They must have been completely mind blown. And lastly, let's look at what it means to be a leader. So back then, clearly this one is the most clear as to how it was terrible. But a leader, there was no laws. There was nothing to protect the rights of a king. If you were a king, if you were, um, I don't know, an emperor, you were the top dog, you do whatever you wanted. And I looked at who was the emperor during the time of Jesus. And it was a guy named Tiberius. And he was widely known for abusing kids, for raping his girl servants, and for killing whoever he wanted. And it was totally okay because he was the top dog. He had the power and the right to do that. 
But Jesus comes in and he says, to be first, to be the king of kings, to be the highest emperor ever. If you could imagine the most top dog guy in your society, Rome, what it means for that person is that they must be last and a servant of all. And then we see Jesus display this. You see that the night before Jesus knows he's about to be executed the next day, he knows what's about to happen on the cross. And what does he do on his last day? A lot of us would wanna go party, go do something. What does he do? He gets his disciples, sits them down and he gets a wooden bucket full of water and he gets a rag and then he washes their dirty feet one by one. Even Judas, he washes all of their feet and he shows that that's what it looks like to be the absolute most top king because the king of kings did not come to be served, but to serve. So my question for you, is are you living this out? Are you living out what Jesus is teaching here? He stepped into a society that looked completely different and everything changed because of him. Because he taught this message of love, of value. And that was what God's intended message was for what we were, how we were to see others and ourselves. And this must've been mind blowing for the disciples. And as you become greater in college, because I know all of y'all are doing amazing things out there. As y'all are becoming greater, smarter, greater in sports, greater in whatever you're doing, are y'all looking for opportunities to serve and to be there and to sacrifice your time and your effort and your money and whatever it is to the people of the lowest in your life? People that you might really not like, that's really uncomfortable to be around. Are you looking for ways to serve them? Or are you trying to live the most comfortable life you can? Are you praying for your enemy? Are you forgiving those when it makes absolutely no sense to forgive them? Because that's the same message Jesus is teaching right here. And it might be very uncomfortable, but I want us to think this week of how we can be doing that and who it might be too. Because if we could all start doing that and live this way that Jesus is teaching the disciples that was totally different, then we can start living in this upside down kingdom mindset that Jesus is teaching us about. All right, let's pray out. Dear Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room, God. I thank you that you came on this earth 2000 years ago, Lord, and that we're living in such a beautiful place because of it today, God. I thank you that you offer that eternal life, this water that can just be flowing out, that's eternal, Lord, because this world doesn't have what we're looking for when we are searching for where we can matter for, we're searching for our significance. And so I just pray that we can accept that and that we can accept it today, not just in the future, but that we can live it out and show people that they matter so much too. And that we can be practical with that, Lord, in the way we view others and the way we view ourselves. And I pray that we can see that as we're becoming greater, Lord, we're becoming more of a servant. It's backwards. It's totally backwards. And the kingdom seems like it's upside down, God, but this is the way you called us to live where forgiving someone makes no sense. Loving someone who's such an outcast, God. I pray that we can be bold enough to do those things, God. I pray for just an amazing, safe week and that we can be growing so deeply in our faith with you. In Jesus' name, amen.